Yesterday, before I left home to come up to the office, I had to pick Carol up, at my wife Carol, at, uh, because we were going to go to a funeral. And I said, what time do you need me to pick you up? And I, I swear, she said, 10.30. And so I said, okay, 10.30 it is. And so I came up t- to work and looked the clock and Okay, I got to get there. And I actually got there a little bit early to pick her up. And she says, where were you? And I go, what do you mean? Where was I? I'm here. It's 1030. She says, I said 1015. I didn't hear 1015. I heard 1030. Now, I'm sure she said, I mean, we've been married for 31 years. Um, I'm sure she said 1015. I heard 1030. And I was thinking about that. We've been married for over 30 years, and we still, let's just put it on me. I still struggle listening and hearing. It's not that I don't hear things, but it's not that I'm not hearing the right things. And I was thinking about that as I was preparing for this message, and I was thinking, is that not true with God? That God wants to speak to us and and with us, and we don't often hear him correctly? And that's what the text is we're going to look at today. How do we hear the voice of God? Why don't we hear the voice of God? And we're going to find that uh, there's a, 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 this prophet, and his name is Elijah, and he has a lot to teach us about how to hear the voice of God. So that's where we're going to go this uh, morning. i got a lot of ground to cover. Don't know where you're at. This may be your first time at Hope Church. We're doing this thing called Eat This Book, and really essentially what we're asking you to do is to take this book and every day open it up, read it, and reflect upon it. That's essentially it. If you do it, if you've never done it and you don't do it and you do it twice a week, that's a victory. If you do it uh, every day, that's even better. But you know what? We don't want to be legalistic about this. We're just saying that if you interact with God and His Word in any scope, in any means, and you read and reflect that we're, we're going in a really good direction. So what, and so what I'm doing through this is I'm preaching through the Bible this year. Because I've heard from many of you that you've, you don't have to raise your hand, it won't make you, but some of you walked up and said, I just feel like an idiot. I don't know anything about the Bible. And so the goal here is to teach you about the Bible. And as you read through it, and as we teach through it and the other tools, you should come out of this year and say, I know a lot more about the Bible. I feel very much more comfortable. So that's kind of where we're going. Now, a few weeks ago, we were talking about the book of Judges. We said the Judges were really this kind of unruly period of time in the nation of Israel. There really was no ruler, and Judges weren't like what we think of Judges. They were like military rulers, and they were kind of regional, and they kind of popped up, and they ruled, and they, you know, there was a lot of... Judges is a difficult book to read. It's a difficult book. The period lasted for about 300 years. And as I ended that, I said, you know, the phrase of judges uses is, and everyone did what they thought in their own eyes. And essentially what they're saying is there was no strong leadership. Moses is gone. Joshua is gone. And yet that's setting us up for leadership. And we're going to see they're going to move from judges, a period of 300 years where there was no real strong ruler, to a monarchy. They're going to have their first king. And when uh, Nelson preached, he came to the book of 1 Samuel, and we found our first king. Actually, he talked about the second king, but uh, Samuel uh, 
was the prophet, and he came, and he anointed. And he was kind of, Samuel was kind of like a, go, a bridge. He was the last judge, but he was one of the first prophets from God. And we see that he came and he anointed Saul to be Israel's first king. And Saul started out great. I mean, he was big, powerful, just good warrior, but just had some real major character flaws. Became very jealous of, of David. And um, his son Jonathan, in fact, was David's best friend. And, and at one point, Saul said to his son, you're an idiot to like David. He... The throne should go to you, but you're never going to get it. Give it, get it, because you're going to give it to him. And he didn't understand that relationship. It was just a very special relationship. They were very good friends. Um, we come to chapter 16 uh, in First Samuel, and through the end of the chapter, we see that David is become becomes king. He's a very good king, uh, powerful. He starts out, he's a young man, remember, in the field, as he defeated on the battlefield, he de- defeated Goliath as a young man. And then as we see him get older, he's now n- no longer a young man, and he should be out in the battlefield, but he's not. He's up on the roof in the middle of the day, and he's taking a nap, and he sees a woman, and he has an affair with her, and he tries. He doesn't try, he ultimately kills her husband. And basically, God raises up another prophet, and his name is Nathan, and he says to Nathan, you need to go and tell King David, I know what he did. And so Nathan does. Nathan tells him a parable, and David is outraged by the parable and, and the wickedness of this one person. And, and Nathan says, you're that person, David. David repented. And you can read a couple of his psalms, where he, Psalm 51, and where he repents of his sin. And he says, you know, I, I was born in sin in my mother's womb, and, and I'm responsible for my sin, and, and never blames God. But here's the point. He repented, and he turned back to God, but yet he still had to suffer the consequences of his sin. And his son Absalom tried to actually take the throne from him. And so at one point, David had to flee because of, of his son Absalom. Absalom dies, and David cries out. And he, well, what's going on here is David has seen the, the, what sin is doing in his life, that it's destroying his family. I mean, you would never read uh, about David. You know, there's nobody that gets up and teaches how to parent, and they model the life of David. He was a bad father. He was not a good father. I mean, you might take his life and say, here's an example of what not to do. But certainly there's no principles of how to father children. And so we come to 2 Samuel. Saul has died. David has come to power. He sinned with Bathsheba. He facilitated the death of Uriah. His house is divided. Absalom tries to steal the throne. And David grieves over his death. And then and towards the end of David's life, makes a horrible mistake. He, he numbers the people. God is angry with him and basically says, you have three choices of how I can judge you and the people. And he makes a choice. And ultimately, it's just, it doesn't end well. But David will always be remembered and still is to this day as one of the greatest kings that Israel ever had. And more importantly, he was a man after God's own heart, but deeply flawed, deeply flawed. We come to First and Second Kings, and so now here's what we've had. We've had Judges, and now we've had Samuel, who's been a bridge from the book of Judges to this point where we have a monarchy, and we have a first king, Saul, who reigned for 40 years. We have David, who reigned for 40 years. We have Solomon, 
who reigns for 40 years, David's son Solomon. And so Solomon becomes the king. We hear about him. We read about him in uh, 1 Kings 1 through 11. He's devoted to God. He asks for wisdom. Remember the story about him, that he asks for wisdom. And then these two women, they, they, they have children, and one of the children dies, and the, other, uh, the, one of the, the, the mother of the child that died switched her baby. And so they come before Solomon, and he says, it's my baby. No, it's my baby. And, and uh, Solomon, in his wisdom, says, cut the baby in two. And then the real mother says, no, give the baby to her. And Solomon says, you're the, really the mother. And everybody's amazed by his wisdom. You can read about that in First Kings. And so we have a united kingdom, a kingdom under Solomon where Solomon, for the first time, has the whole promise. You know, remember in Genesis chapter 12 where God makes a promise to Abraham, I'm going to give you land. Now Solomon is dwelling in the promised land, all the land and the land, and they're living in, in general peace. But after Solomon, the kingdom is divided. The united kingdom comes to a divided kingdom. The, the northern kingdom is composed of ten tribes and it's called Israel. The southern kingdom is called Judah and it has two tribes. And, and, and so things aren't the way... And, and you just have a list of all these kings and they're not very good. Either north or south, they're not very good kings. So you have two kings at each time over Israel. I mean, one is Israel, one's Judah, but it's the whole you know, United Kingdom, but now it's divided. And so we, we want to talk about one of those kings, but more importantly, we want to talk about a man named Elijah. Because some of the times when you read through the prophets, they're speaking either to the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom. Some are speaking to both, but you have to understand who they're talking to. So Elijah comes and God says, you need to go to speak to this king of the north, Ahab. And Ahab's married to the, he's not a very good guy himself, and uh, his wife Jezebel isn't much better. But they have now, not only have they, is he a bad king, but he's brought the people to a point where they worship this god Baal. You read a lot about Baal in the Old Testament. Well, Baal was a pretty important god for the people of the land. Why? Well, the, the, the land had gone through three and a half years of drought. Now picture what it would be like for us to go through three and a half years of drought. That would be pretty miserable. Be, you know, but especially over in an arid climate like it is in the Middle East, uh, just terrible. And so three and a half years, and again, what was Baal? Baal was the god of rain. Baal was the god of rain. So these people, they worshipped Baal. He actually wasn't coming through for him very well. But they still worshipped him. They said, he's our only hope. We, have, we need rain, so we need to worship Baal. And so God calls Elijah and he says, you need to go and you need to do battle against the prophets of Baal. Now, again, he's speaking about Jewish people, the Hebrew people. They're worshipping Baal. And so Elijah calls he puts a challenge down. He calls all the prophets on Mount Carmel, up on Mount Carmel. By the way, Mount Carmel was the place for Baal. It was home court advantage. It was the holy mountain of Baal. And he says, set up an altar and put a sacrifice on it. Let's have it out. So some scholars believe anywhere between 500 to 1,000 of these prophets of Baal came. And it was only Elijah. <clears throat> It was a showdown on the mountain, basically, is what it came down to. And so you can read about this story in 1 Kings 18. And I don't have time to go into it, but let me just give you an overview of what happened. So Elijah calls them all together, and he says, okay, you go first. 
They put the sacrifice on the altar. All the prophets jumped around. They danced around. They gashed themselves with knives. This went on for three hours, three and a half hours, four hours, nothing. So Elijah begins to talk smack. I mean, he does. He says, where's your God? Maybe he's listening to something else. Maybe he's, his, there's something wrong with his ears. Maybe, maybe he went somewhere. And then he said, I mean, just, you, if you read the Hebrew, he says, it says something like in the English, it says, maybe he's occupied. Well, the word means maybe he's relieving himself somewhere. Yeah, he's talking smack. So they give up. Nothing happens. And that's what we would expect. So Elijah basically says, okay, here's what I want you to do. Get a bucket of water, put it on the, you know, pour it on the sacrifice. Well, they did it. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. He does this till there's water dripping all over. And they have this, this, uh, um, I couldn't think of the word before, but it's a ditch. Easy word to remember. A ditch around it. And it's just filled with water. They have, they have, they have just drenched it. And, and Elijah prays a very simple prayer. He says, God, if you're, if you're God, bring fire down and consume the sacrifice. And, oh, by the way, why don't you take these prophets out while you're at it? And that's exactly what happens. Fire comes down from heaven. The sacrifice is consumed. The water in the ditch is just licked up. And the prophets, all of them, are just destroyed. Boom. Crispy critters, gone. So you think, well, what a victory. Here's one guy who stood against almost a thousand prophets for God on a mountain in their own home turf. He even talks smack. What faith. And then we come to chapter, the chapter we want to look at today, and it's chapter uh, 19. Because things don't really work out the way he expected. He's on the run, he's in trouble. Let me read you that passage. This is chapter 19, verse 1. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. Now, Ahab, again, is the king of the north. His wife is Jezebel. So Ahab has come home, and he's telling Jezebel what has happened. The way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. So essentially she's saying, you're dead. Either One of us is going to be dead by tomorrow. It's either you or me. Now, neither one was, but that's a threat. Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, town of Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day, sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he laid down and slept under a broom, the broom tree. But, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there he saw beside his head some bread and baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and laid down again. The angel of the Lord came again and touched him. Get up and eat some more. And the journey, the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up, he ate and drank And the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Now, the question I want to answer in the little bit of time we have left is why don't we hear the voice of God? Why don't we we hear God when he speaks? And I think there's three reasons. Number one, we, we we, we put 
ways and how God has to answer our prayers. We say, God, if you're going to answer, it has to be in this way. What do I mean by that? Notice what he says in verse uh, 9. The Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars. They've killed every one of the prophets, and I'm only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Now, why was Elijah depressed? Well, he's depressed simply because what, was his, what were his expectations? His expectations were, here I am. I'm putting it all out there. I'm taking a risk. I'm doing, giving it all for God. And I expect that what's going to happen is when God takes these prophets out and when he does all of this, everybody in Israel, all these people who have turned to Baal are now going to turn to Yahweh. They're, they're now going to worship Yahweh. They're now going to, to, to repent. They're now going to say, Elijah, thank you for turning our hearts that didn't happen in fact there's a hit out on him he's being pursued by his own people and so he's, he's saying well if this won't turn their hearts what will in other words he expected a different outcome. Have you ever done that? Have you ever gone to God and said, I expect a different outcome? You may be the kind of person that says, you know what? I'm serving God. I'm loving God. I'm, I'm doing my best. But my life isn't going well. I haven't getting a good report from the doctor. My relationships, I'm struggling in my relationships. I, I thought that when I came to Jesus, my life was going to get easier, was going to get better. I, I thought that when I put myself out there and I took risks, that things were going to work out, but they don't seem to be working out. I'm having a hard time here. You know, we have to come to a point where we say, God, I'm going to be faithful to you no matter what. No matter what the outcome. And, you know, we, and I've, I've done this before, where we talked about uh, Isaiah 6. And Isaiah was a prophet of God. And Isaiah 6, it's, Isaiah had a vision of God. And he saw the glory of God. And when he saw the glory of God, he saw just how, how he didn't measure up. And he said, woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I, I'm, I'm sinful. And God cleanses him. And then the next thing you know, you, you hear the voice of God. And God is saying, who will go for us? Who can we send? And Isaiah says, here I am I. Send me. Send me. Now, you don't read the rest of that. But if you read, you can go home tonight, or this afternoon tonight. Read, read the rest of Isaiah 6. Because what God says to Isaiah is, okay, you're going to go. Now, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be my mouthpiece. You're going to be my prophet. You're going to tell them what I can tell you. But they're not going to listen. You're going to preach to them. They're not going to hear. You're going to warn them. They're not going to heed the warnings. You're going to work your brains out. You're going to try to convince them, but they won't be convinced. In other words, he's saying your ministry is going to be totally, totally, by the world's standard, unsuccessful. But that ha you have to be okay with that. If you're not okay with that, we got a problem. You see, the point is we can't assume just because we're faithful to God that we won't struggle, we won't be misunderstood, and we won't, be, uh, we won't feel abandoned by God. But God never abandoned Elijah. He was always with him. We can't expect certain outcomes. And I think sometimes we say, well, God, you have to do it this way. You have to, supernatural, you have to do this manifestation. You have to do this big, you know, huge. And, and God says, no, 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 I don't have to do anything. If you require God to work in a certain way in your life, you are going to be disappointed. And you're going to come to a place like Elijah, 
where you're going to feel let down and like God has abandoned you. He hasn't abandoned you. You just had a plan that God didn't have. That's really the whole point of the book of Job, really. So Elijah is depressed, he's discouraged, and he's, he's disillusioned by everything. He's at the point where he says, just kill me. Now, how does God treat him? Because if you're dealing with a friend, you have a neighbor, somebody you love, and they're going through some depression, there's three areas you really just have to, if you can help them, there's three things you need to look at. Number one, there's physical needs that they have. Notice what he did. What was the, one of the first things he did? God did for Elijah? He cooked him a meal. He made him a meal. He said, here, eat. And he gave him water. And then he said, now go rest. Food, water, rest. Physical. He took care of the physical. Emotional needs. He took care of his emotional and spiritual needs. You know, there's a point where Elijah's basically coming to, to God and he's saying, I don't understand this. I don't like this. Why are you doing this? You know, and, and, and you read through some of the Psalms and we call those Psalms imprecatory Psalms. And what they are is the psalmist is crying out to God and they're saying, God, I don't understand this. I don't like this. I'm struggling. Uh, why are you doing this? And, and, and have you ever done that? Have you ever been really frustrated and there's somebody that you're really close to, maybe it's your spouse or your parents or your, some, a, a good friend, and you just, you just vent because you need to just vent. You just need to just talk about it and process it. Well, you know what? You could do that with God, and he's not put off by that. You could be angry with God. You could be upset. You could say, God, I don't understand. I don't like it. I, I'm struggling. And you know what? God will not be put off by that, because that's essentially what Elijah's doing here. So he takes care of his physical needs. He allows him to process things, and then he gives him a friend. And we're going to see his friend a little bit. Uh, you'll hear about, well, we read the text about Elijah, and you can read on about the story of Elijah. He's going to be his protege, and he's going to be his encouragement. And so he gives him a friend. So if you have somebody who's dealing with depression, you have to look at the whole scope of things. There's many, many things that are going on. It's very complex. But uh, there's physiological, there's, so, uh, there's just uh, all sorts of things going on. But that's how God ministered to Elijah. So maybe the first reason we don't hear from God is because we say, God, you have to answer in this way. Or you, if I do this, you need to do this. And you can't put any strings on it. You just have to say, here I am, send me. And by the way, God doesn't always say to you, oh, if you say yes to this, here's what's going to happen down the road. Have you noticed that? That you say yes to him, you put yourself out there and things don't work out and you go, wait a minute, this, was this supposed to, yeah, it was, probably. I mean, if you didn't sin or do anything wrong, it maybe that's exactly what was supposed to happen. But God doesn't say, okay, I'm going to ask you to do this now. Here's, here's, here's my part of the contract. I'm going to do this and you do this. He just says, I want you to do this. Will you do it? He doesn't give you any of the details. It's a faith thing. Here's the second thing of a reason why I don't think we hear the word. Because we want God to answer us according to our pace. Now notice in verse 11 it says this. It says, go out and stand before me on the mountain. This is a strange passage, but it's, it's got a point to it. God says, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And the Lord told him, and Elijah stood there. The Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, 
He wrapped his face in his cloak. He went away and stood at the entrance of the cave. Now, many scholars believe this is the same place that Moses stood when he said, God, I want to see your face. And, and God revealed, you know, basically revealed part of his glory to Moses. But here's the point. I think the point of the supernatural manifestations is to show Elijah that, God, that he doesn't have to communicate through the supernatural. That's not his only way of communicating. You don't always have to be looking for the supernatural to hear the voice of God. And, and that's, some people are that way today. They say, well, unless I have some supernatural manifestation, I don't think uh, that God's talking. And, and notice what he's saying to Elijah. He's, he's saying by example, he's saying, I can speak through an earthquake. I can speak through this. I can speak through this. But here's how I choose to speak. A still, small voice. Quietly. In other words, what he's saying to Elijah is, I need to be able to show up in the quiet times too. You just had this big mountaintop experience, but guess what? I speak in the quiet times too. In fact, I probably speak more during the quiet times than I will in those big... You're, you're, if you, and you know, again, don't be asking God to do all these huge things. Um, so here's my point that I want you to see. Is it possible that your life is too loud for you to hear, the, to hear the still, small voice of God? Is it possible that you're too connected, too distracted, too busy, too loud? Maybe God has been speaking to you, but your problem is you're, you're, you're so busy, you're, you're so connected, you're so, you know, here, there, everywhere, too loud. Your life is so loud that God would have to shout for you to hear. Why do you think we're asking you to take this book and daily get away and read it and reflect it. And pray, God, speak to me today through your word. Because I believe that's how God speaks to us today. I don't think he speaks through donkeys very often. I don't think he speaks through dreams very often. He can, I guess. But I would always say, if I had a dream, and God told me something in a dream, I would want to say, is that square with Scripture? Because if it doesn't square with Scripture, it ain't God. It's probably the pepperoni or whatever I ate the night before. You understand what I'm saying? This, this, this is God's final authority, and that's why it's so important to read and reflect God's Word. Because if you want to hear the still small voice, you've got to get away, and you've got to take a moment. No, you don't have to get up at 5 in the morning and, 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 and take an hour and go somewhere. You don't have to do that. Now, if you want to do that, fine, go do that. But there needs to be moments where you just unhook from this life and you get quiet before God. You'll be amazed. He has been speaking. You've just been too plugged in to hear Him. Here's the third thing. We want God to answer according to our perceptions. Now, notice, let me read through this, starting at verse 13. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied again, I have zealously uh, served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Now this is almost verbatim identical to what he said the first time. So God asks Elijah a question. He asks him twice. Elijah gives the same answer twice. Now, Elijah's not getting it. The whole point is God doesn't ask a question because he doesn't know something. God knows everything. When Jesus asked the question, he knew what the answer was. He did it to help people process. So he's trying to get 
Elijah to process what's going on here. And Elijah hasn't made, up to this point, very much ground. So finally God changes his perspective, and this is what he says to him. He said, he says this in verse 15, Then the Lord told him, Go back the same way you came, travel to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazael, uh, and then anoint Jehu, and then anoint Elisha, that's his little helper, his protege that he's going to have. And then he says this in verse 18. He said, you know, let me set this up. Basically, Elijah's argument is, I'm the only one. I'm the only faithful one. Everybody's against me. The queen's against me. The king's against me. The people are against me. Why are they against me? I'm just doing your work. And this is what he says. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. It was possible that the Baal had a, a statue or an idol of some sort that the people actually did kiss to show their allegiance. But here's, here's, what, here's what God is saying to Elijah. Elijah, you think you're the only one? There's 7,000 that haven't kissed Baal. There's, in other words, what God is saying is, God, Elijah, I always have a remnant. I always have faithful followers. You're not the only one. Have you ever been there where you say, I put myself out there. I think I'm the only one that's being faithful to God. God says, no, no, no. I appreciate that you're being faithful, but you're not the only one. Here's my question, though. It's possible that we don't hear the word of God because we've got it all planned out of how he has to answer. It's possible we don't hear the word of God because we're so, our life is so noisy and, and we're so connected, we never get quiet before him. It's also possible that we don't hear the word of God because we do hear it and we don't like what he's saying to us. In other words, we know what he's saying. We've heard that still small voice. God has spoken into our lives. Maybe he did it a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, 10 years ago. And we just said, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to deal with that. That's not what I want to hear. That's not what I want. And, and I don't know what that is in your life. I don't know. Maybe it has to do with a relationship. Maybe it has to do with some sin in your life. Maybe it has to do with your attitude. I don't know what it is. The Spirit of God knows. And the minute I started talking about this, you started thinking about whatever that is. And God has said, we are going to deal with this issue. Let me read you a verse. Mark chapter 4, this is Jesus, and he says this. He says, consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Those who have will be given more. And as those who do not have, even what they have will be taken from them. What he's saying is, is, is really, it's a parable of, uh, of light. And what he's saying is, when God reveals something to you and you don't respond obediently, God's going to say, time out. We're going to deal with this. We're not going any further until we deal with this issue. So maybe in your Christian life you feel like, I feel like my Christian life is stagnant. I feel like I'm not growing. I feel like I'm in the same place I was a year ago. And I just say to you, is there an issue that God revealed through his word to your life or through another person? And you say, that was God. That was the spirit of God speaking to my life about this issue. And I have said to God, that's off limits. We're not going to deal with it. And God says, till we deal with it, we're not going any further. But it gets worse. 
Let me read you another passage of Scripture. This is from the book of Romans, and Paul says this in Romans 1.28. He says, Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. What he's saying here is this. You never remain neutral. When God says, let's deal with this issue, and you say, no, I don't want to deal with it, after a while, God walks away and says, fine, we're we're not going any further. In fact, I'm going to let you go away. I'm going to let you drift. And some of you have drifted. Some of you have drifted away because God brought you to a point and said, will you deal with this issue? And you've said no. And God says, okay, when you're ready to deal with it, let's talk about it. But in the meantime, you're not going to stay there. You're going to drift. And so I would argue with you that if, if, if you have one of those issues in your lives and it's been going on for a long time, you don't feel like you haven't grown. In fact, you feel like you're further away from God than you were. That's why. That's why. Because God says, I'm going to reveal my truth to you. I'm going to speak to you in this still, small voice. Now, what are you going to do with that? Because we're not going any further until we deal with that. So what is it in your life that God is saying? (laughs) You may have heard his voice, but you say, I don't like what I'm hearing. I don't want to do it. I don't know, but the Spirit of God is going to bring that to your heart, and you have to do something with it. By the way, I just want to make one last point about this passage here. We in the Christian community sometimes dress up gossip and we say, well, I'm not gossiping. I know I'm not part of the problem and I know I'm not part of the solution, but this is information that people just need to know this, to pray about it or whatever. Well, have they asked you to share it, to pray about it? No, they haven't. But, you know, I mean, you know, I figured you would. You know, I mean, so we, we do this, this gossip thing. It's not a big thing. Notice what's in the con- what's, what's along with gossip. In other words, what I'm saying is gossip we see is this is a, a low-tier sin. This is a, a minor. It's almost like let's not even call it a sin. Notice what he talks about here. In Romans, he says, full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior. You know, those are hard to Christianize. Those are hard to dress up. Those are hard to put lipstick on and, and, and to make them look better. I mean, I mean, how do you make greed and sin and hate acceptable? They're kind of ugly words, right? But gossip, well, we could do something with that one. We could work that one up. What I want you to see is every one of them is, is, is the same. I mean... Sin is sin. Sin is sin. That's a kind of a sermon in a sermon. It's a sermonette in a sermon. So the next time you're, you're ready to give, share some information, you say, is this, is this going to help? Am I either part of the problem or part of the solution? If not, shut up. And somebody comes to you and says, I just want to tell you about such and such. I'm struggling with them and I'm having a problem. Say, okay, fine. Did you go talk to them? Because I don't want to hear it until you talk to them. I even go further sometimes when people come to me and say, hey, I want to talk to you about such and such. I said, fine, you have a problem with such and such. Did you talk to such and such? No. I said, well, here's what we'll do. Before you talk to me, because it wouldn't be appropriate, why don't you go talk to them? And in a week, I'll check back with you and see how it went. (laughs) Because they usually don't want to go talk to such and such. But anything else is gossip. 
Here's the point, though. The main point of the message. God is speaking. But if you put him in a box and say, you have to answer in this way, you're going to have a problem. And you're going to be discouraged. If you say, God, God um, I want you to speak to me, but I'm real busy, and you're going to have to fit your, you're going to somehow have to do something supernatural to get my attention. No, that doesn't always work real well. Or when you get to the point where you say, I know what God wants me to do. I'm well aware of what God's wanting me to do, but I don't want to do it. That's a very dangerous place to be with God. Because you don't remain neutral, you lose ground. He who has been given and is obedient will be given more. He who has been given and is disobedient, what he has will be taken away. So, whatever that issue is, let God work in your life. God does speak. God wants to speak to you. But he's probably going to do it through a still, small voice. Are you ready to listen? Are you ready to hear? Are you ready to obey? Let's stand. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you do speak. And many times in a still, small voice and always in uh, perfect harmony with your word. I pray, Father, that we would be good listeners that we would hear your still small voice, and most importantly, that when we hear your voice, we would obediently respond as your children. Help us to understand, Father, that just because we're serving you and loving you and trying to do our best, it means it, it, it doesn't prevent us from going through difficult times or for you to do different things some, somewhat differently or many times amazingly different than what we expected. May we be like Isaiah who said, here am I, send me. Father, if there's anybody here this morning they're struggling with burnout and discouragement, I pray that they would get the rest and the nourishment they need. I pray that uh, they might just vent to you and share their hearts and feelings and hurts with you. I pray that you'd bring a friend in their life that they can walk with so that they can get a handle on depression. And thank you, Father, that you are our friend and you're always with us. You never give up on us. And thank you that there are other faithful followers of, of you out there today who love you as much as not more than we do. And uh, thank you that you have a plan and a purpose for our lives. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.